Telling you, bro, what's been happening, bro? Uh, not too much. Still hitting more Peggyos. Hi, my name is Shane Terrio, and you are listening to The Riff Raff. Music, stories, and insights from the front line. My guest today is Mr. Kirk Covington. You know, out of all the musicians that I can think of, there aren't many that are as freakishly talented as Kirk. I mean, I know guys that play a little of this and that on drums and keys and guitar and that kind of thing, but Kirk plays at such a ridiculously high level on all these instruments and vocals that it's kind of not fair. He was in one of my favorite bands, which was a huge personal influence of my own playing, a band called Tribal Tech with Scott Henderson on guitar. He was a member of Tribal Tech. He's also worked with Joe Zawino, Alan Holsworth, and his own band, Captain Kirk. He was a member of the band Volto with Tool drummer Danny Carey. Kirk has a larger-than-life personality, as you hear, and he's always laughing and joking. I love being around and getting to play with him. He's one of my favorite musicians, so I thought he'd be a no-brainer for a guest on Riff Raff, and he proved me right. So we talk about a lot of cool things in this episode, and I hope you enjoy. I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking. Well, my life was was actually better before I became a man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, things have really changed for me. <laughs> Test all that shit. All right, let's start, Kirk. I'm ready, brother. I am in Austin, Texas with Kirk Covington, and here we are. We're, we're here. We, we, uh, we did it. We got our gig at the Shell Station down the street here in Austin, and <laughs> I think we're, it's all downhill from here, man. <laughs> you know, it wow. is true. Well, thanks for doing this, man. Getting up early, and you know, come on, don't shut down now, Kirk. Dude, I feel I feel so good to be a part of all the cats you're getting on this thing, and it's and it's very cool doing an audio thing for me. It's awesome. Because I didn't have to get dressed, which is, you know. <laughs> if y'all could visualize, I'm in my PJs with my super tight shorts and, you know. Camouflage. Camouflage. Camo shorts, of course, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's a lot easier way to roll. <laughs> well, we're at Kirk's beautiful spot outside of Austin overlooking a golf course. It's nice, man. You got it's all a, your stuff. Your I told piano, my kids they're carrying feet. me out in a box. <laughs> I'm, I'm here yeah but but sir, i'm just let's one correction this is not a golf course this is my this is my my estate i see it's those, your compound those guys out there with those clubs and stuff those are my peasants yeah but yeah it's it's an estate i see know. i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> i like to think of it as my kingdom really sort of <laughs> i think how long have we known each other a while i, I first played with you with nitty at the nam show years ago dude it was in the 90s man i swear to yeah, god it was in the 90s but it what, was 90s? Oh, yeah, you weren't born. <laughs> but, no, it was about 2000. Golly. And uh, I remember you didn't talk to me at all. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, man, I've always loved your playing. Of course, I was a huge Tribal Tech fan, huge Henderson fan. You know, it's cool. Henderson, Henderson, out. Henderson. Yeah. I'm trying to. Try. Florence? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Florence? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk came to my gig last night. We played in Austin, and um, he was screaming at the drummer and, you know, berating the 
musicians and uh, especially <laughs> throwing Darryl. stuff on stage. Yeah, especially yeah. Daryl. <laughs> he got it. He got it. He got ejected. <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate you coming and getting me out this morning, man. I appreciate that. I'll, 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 pay, I'll pay you back. <laughs> it was interesting talking, you know, after man, because to me, you've you've led a um, pretty creative musical life. You know, you've kind of done what you wanted to do. Could I, not voice it better than that that's exactly at 12 years old i said you know i just want to play man i want to play with the baddest cats people don't know kirk's not only an amazing drummer he's an amazing pianist he plays keyboards man he can blow like joe zalano and he's a great singer too and i think a lot of people don't even know that man well let's talk about drums first drums baby initially with people drums i'll tell you that i was and the short story is, is when I was born, 56. So I was right at the apex jazz rock world, blah, 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 the original cats. So all the original cats, Mitch Mitchell, Bill Ward, John Bonham, were, were like my real early influences rock and roll wise. And I actually kind of got into the Philly Joe Jones, the Elvin Jones, the Max Roach, the uh, Dijonette and Tony, of course, kind of after you know, my parents were, were big jazz nuts and, and they loved dancing to big bands, but, but it was more like the mainstream. Hmm. So I, I'm totally rooted, and I'm glad it was this direction, this, this order, because I was rooted in the, the, the original rock and roll, which is really, let's face it, way more fusion than the mainstream stuff today. You know what I mean? Where it's all cookie cutter um, with the Zeps and the Deep Purples and all those. So that was where I was rooted. And then I kind of started getting hip to the classic jazz cats then i went to north texas state and it all kind of you know melded into one thing so when i was 15 years old simultaneously my older sister played weather report heavy a uh, 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 mysterious traveler got got killed me at the same moment i was hearing billy cobham with mahavishnu and i was also hearing billy cobham and steve gadd on all those cti sides with Herbie and mm-hmm. Hubert Laws and mm-hmm. all that jazz stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm hearing this drummer who's going... And then... Doing all the Maya Vishnu craziness. And it just it just ruled me at 15. It was like, okay, I had already... Mitch Mitchell was already, and still is, the way he played the original Jimmy stuff. is so killing jazz rock. Mm-hmm. So I just was inundated mid-high school. Right. That's when it really clicked for me. And I had still it really wasn't until senior year in high school in North Texas State that I really started hearing the Elvins, the Tonys, the Jack DeJanettes, the really great jazz cats, small group especially. Um, so I, I said earlier, I'm glad of that order of events because I'm a rock guy. You know, I'm a rock funk cat that sort of began to acquire jazz
this. What's one of your favorite groups to play? Like if you gravitate, if you just sit there at, at the drums and don't even think, like what's something you naturally gravitate towards? Because I know for guitar players, maybe there's certain things you'd normally gravitate to that are just sort Absolutely. of default uh, patterns, you know? I would just immediately go... that group what do you call that group it's Is just, that just a, a Kirk it's just, it's just funky thing? but it's got the the back it's got the, yeah. the back you know kind of like Nautilus. bonham bonham playing some new orleans shit kind of yeah kind of but it, it's got a lot more bonham to it it's got a, it's got a lot of that thing and as, as we're talking about we we're talking about this last night it's like uh feel in, in a short story feel has got so much to do with tempo like if I'm going, kind of the same beat real fast, there's no feel. Mm -hmm. It has to be what it is. Mm -hmm. But when you get down to these feels, you get the chucka, chucka, chucka. The way I like to talk about it is like you take two circles side by side. The left circle is absolute straight or duple in drum speak. The, the right circle is absolute triplet or tuple or whatever they call it. So it's da, 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 da. That's one circle. The other circle is... Yeah. And in the middle, yeah. you draw another circle. And it contains both. And it's like... Mm-hmm. And honestly, I bring up Elvis. That's the feel. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom thing. And you find it in Elvin. You find it in Tony and all the jazz guys. Mm-hmm. In differing permutations, right? Yeah. But it's still swinging. Mm-hmm. But it ain't quite totally swinging. It ain't quite totally I, straight. I, I get it. Yeah, Richie Hayward ha- would would play oh. sort of a thing like that. Not quite as technical, but it would be. Uh, yeah, he would. Do, he had a groove he would do where it was That's sort of in saying. between. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. In between. And I and I miss Ned laugh because I said one of my first phrases in school was straight. What is it? Straight swing or in between? <laughs> you yeah. know. And there's three, there's, there's three places. Straight, really swing, or miscellaneous. Yeah, straight, swing, or who knows? <laughs> yeah, I like that stuff too, man. I mean, oh, I, man. I like playing a straight, uh, like a... You know... There's so much happening 
between every quarter note mm-hmm. in that stuff. There's so much going on. Yeah. It's like you could be going, they're straight. It's like, to me, that's the stuff. That's great, man. That's well, your feel is, I mean, you've got one of the best feels, man, for guitar players to play with. I mean, man, I you played that, with brother. the best, man. You played with Henderson, Scott Henderson, Alan Holdsworth, all these great guitar players. I mean, what do you, what do you look for playing with a guitar player? Like, what are some qualities you gra- you grab onto immediately? Gravitate. Well, well, obviously, you know, I've been around cats where everybody has vocabulary. So what happens is when everybody has vocabulary, it's almost like four cats that can speak fluently in French, German, Italian, English. But whatever happens, we got to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. So you take all that vocabulary and you throw it out the freaking window and say, okay, what's going to happen? We're going to groove. So you got guys with vocabulary who don't have to use it, maybe. And to me, guitar players, I mean, I mean, I like... Henderson is such a tone guy, you know, Landau, you, you guys are so, you know, ma- your mastery of your tones is real important to me. I don't like jack wagons with hanky tones, you know, that don't have that together. <laughs> hanky tones. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard that. I don't like hanky tones. You got to bring the right thing. Like you got to be in touch with your fingers, your axe, your pedals and your amp. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's a. I know guitar players. It, it's a weekly thing, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I really dig that amp. But next week, <laughs> <laughs> and then the the real answer, and this goes for everybody, me and everybody around me, is time. Yeah, like, dude, that thing where you don't got to talk about it, you don't have to have a click, you don't have to have nothing. Everybody has the internal clock so big. And that was a great thing about playing with Tribal Tech. We could go anywhere we wanted, and nobody was ever scared. Nobody ever fell off the cliff. Yeah. Whether I was doing crazy shit or whether somebody else was doing crazy, and they're soloing. Those two things, man, the vocabulary or, or lack thereof, kind of. Is there, a, is there a Tribal Tech track that would would uh, illustrate what you're talking about? Like as far as, um, I mean, I know there's tons of them, but one that comes to mind that's a favorite example of that, of, uh, of everybody playing together time. Maybe one that you guys cut with no click or something that you can recall. Yeah, we never cut with loops, man. We oh. never, unless, unless it was a loop loop, but we yeah, never cut yeah. with click. And so I would I would venture to guess that there's things where it, it scooches up a BPM or two towards the end, like like all bands, like, like all, all rock. Every Zeppelin track. Every Zeppelin track yeah, at the end cares? is like six BPM faster, yeah. whatever. I don't hate that. Why does it have to stay? You know, that's what I yeah. always sometimes I'm in the studio or, or on a gig with somebody and people that they fight about the time. Well, it's moving. It's like, yeah, I know, but I can feel it, but it yeah. feels good. It, it does, and it's and it's and it's you know there's those two things we talked about. It's like there's the feel in terms of whether you're down the middle of the road, whether you're scotian and rushing and not rushing, but uh, surfing just a little bit, or pulling it back like your style, New Orleans style. Those three things. Then there's the natural evolution of the BP, of the beats per minute, to where at the end you're kind of cruising. 
some of our favorite music, it's not 120 at the end, right. where it was 120 at the start. And I don't hate that, as long as it's not atrocious, like horrible, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the, other, the, the answer to the first question is, like, two, two things come to mind. I've always dug an early Willis tune called Babylon because we played with a loop, that tune. Mm. And we went through all these permutations, this big, expansive keyboard solo, and then we were somehow able to come back home. other side of it would be one of our crazy tunes like Salt Lick or something because Travel Tech would jam through. Drum guy has to bring us through the cousins, you know. That's a simple halftime thing, but we'd go through all these machinations where I would present cousin grooves and they'd just jump right on it. And after all that was said and done, we were, we were able to a lot of times come back, come back home together, you know. It's huge ears. I mean, I'll tell you a quick, quick story, man. There was a chapter back along. I don't, I forget the time historically, but it was like we were jamming all but one or two songs every night out on tour with these records and these compositions that everybody dug. But we were just like kind of sick of the tunes. Mm -hmm. And man, let me tell you something. You talk about risk taking. It's it's one thing to jam one song after you've done your let's jam and then. And go back to the tune stuff. But we were putting our, you know, what's out on the line 12, 11, 10 songs a night. Wow. And I got to tell you, some nights it was a complete bomb. Yeah, but there's probably magic too. But there was nights, and I remember one night in Seattle back in the day, late 90s, when the shit was really happening in Seattle, we played a joint, and it was one of our crystal clear best jam excursions. Like almost everything was just, yeah. And, man, I can't even tell you how, how far we took that stuff out sometimes. I started singing Frank tunes. We'd be doing it. Night and day. You are the one, the one, the one. Only you, but. And just whatever we could do to screw up music. You know? And, you know, you know, you know how it is, man. I mean, sometimes it's kind of boredom. Sometimes it's just trying to reach new things. Yeah. You're out there night after night. You know, that's the lucky thing about that kind of band is that you don't have to play the same notes every right. night. Yeah. Nobody's you know? expecting to show up and hear hits. Right. Hits, yeah. baby. Of course, the other side of that is if you have hits, you don't have to show up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. Like oh, like yeah. the band you're in. Did you ever listen to Captain Beyond? I cannot believe you just brought that up. Cannot believe that. 
I just found the tune. I have an iconic tune by Captain Beyond. That's one of their classic tunes. It's called Madly. What the heck is it? I'll find it. And it goes. And as you know, I wrote this tune I showed you last night that's faster. Mm-hmm. It's one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. It's in five snare drum on one, which was completely and still is what? You don't put the snare drum on one. And it had the Bonham feel. In fact, that guy's name was Anderson, that drummer. But Captain Beyond, totally. That one track influenced a whole era area of my drumming. Putting the snares on one. Putting the snares wherever you want. The feel. Making, and most importantly, making fives and sevens and nines and elevens and thirteens and all the quote-unquote odd meters feel good. Like... How can that not feel good? Yeah, that right. doesn't feel like five four. No, not at One, all. One, two, three, four, five. I always hated the term odd time. Number one, it ain't odd to the the people in Hungary. Yeah, if you. <laughs> it ain't odd to the people in you know the you know, and 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 sevens like. <laughs> Yeah. One it's, of the main things I'm doing is I'm turning the corners. And seven is, is you could actually tap your foot to seven because it turns around every other. Exactly. Time. But the main thing I'm doing is I'm making it flow and swing instead of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, I was I was just wanting to put something in. The drummer for Captain Beyond, his name was Bobby Caldwell. That's the guy. I didn't yeah. mean Anderson. I meant Caldwell. Yeah, right. That's I knew guy. it was a name of another singer, too. And I saw yeah. them when I was a kid. Yeah. You don't see a lot of acts in Midland, Texas. When you went to North Texas, I, I mean, I know that's sort of like a Berkeley kind of thing where guys cluster together and they kind of know each other for life and everybody either goes to New York or L.A. and, and does big shit. I mean, who, who were some of the guys? You said that it perfectly. Oh, man, when I got there... Ed Sof had already been there with the Lyle Mays era, and then Steve Houghton with the Pat Coyle era, era was right before me. When I got there, there was Willis bass players, all kinds of great bass players. There was great drummers. Greg Bissnett got there about a year after me. So, for instance, when I, got, when I hit my first semester and I was at lab band auditions, there was 90 drummers auditioning for nine bands wow and so you just jumped right into the deep end you know and you had all kinds of kids you had kids that were really great readers kind of coming out of academia you had cats like me that were just kind of rock cats that were starting to try to learn to read starting to get hip to the big band vibe and uh the end of the story for me was 
I was done by like 81 there. And up until that point, it was nothing but all day. Mm-hmm. It was like I went to a couple of classes in the morning, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it was lab band, and then it was small group, and then I'd play a small group on keys with Rich Madison, who was cool enough to let me sort of start, a, start exploring piano. And then, then we'd either go to a jam session or we'd go to Fort Worth or Dallas for a gig every night for wow. six years. Yeah, that'll get I mean, you, you know the hang. Mm-hmm. And that really didn't have that much to do with the school and the, and the degree plans and all that. It just had more to do with hanging and networking and mm-hmm. meeting cats. And, yeah, I got bros, Ray Brinkers, Randy Drakes, you know, Bissonette, Willis, all these cats, you know, that are homies for life, for sure, mm-hmm. no matter whether they go to New York or L.A., you mm-hmm. know, so. What a breeding ground. And that's when I got the memo in the mail that said, Mr. Covington, no, we'd like to know what your degree plan is. And I said, pot, you know, <laughs> or whatever, you know, jazz and pot. You know? <laughs> when, I, when I say pot, I'm talking about the, uh, the Spanish pot drums. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Selling cookware. Cookware. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was the scene, man. And it, whoa, whoa, what a scene. Really? Yeah. Now listen. was it like working with Alan Holdsworth? Uh, absolutely had a really cool Texas English click, click off right, right out of the gate. I, I, I coined the term Big Al. <laughs> hey, what's <laughs> up, Big Al? You can ask him to this day. And uh, what was very interesting about that session was he had his buddy um, who deceased, the, the, the piano player. Gordon Beck. Gordon Beck. And I'll honestly say that I, I, I thought that that was kind of a mismatch. But me and Willis and Holsworth, first of all, Holsworth didn't hardly play on the tracking. He was mostly engineering. Mm. And we were, we were formatting holes for Allen in post. And two things, short answers, I couldn't believe how hard he swings. This guy who was so English and ridiculous ripping hammer-ons, grace notes, all the Holdsworth stuff, but kind of straight, hmm. kind of fusion straight. And that record, I think he swings his, you know what, off. You know, he's playing really flowing, and um, it's kind of his only swing record, and too. It's, it's standards, right? That it's, it's, it's half standards and half originals that are written as standards. As standards, yeah. So, changes, you know, blo- standard blowing changes kind of thing. It was one of the first times where it didn't end up sounding like we didn't really play that much together on the tracking, which was cool. It can be done, and you don't want to do it. It's not. It's not intuitive to do that. But somebody had to engineer, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so Al went in the other room and just engineered. 
and then he'd come out and we'd work on stuff and play and, and create holes. Okay, this is going to be you later. When you listen to the record, it's like yeah, it's like we did it all record. live. It's, it's cool, man. I like cool, that very record. cool record. just a you know he's the sweetest cat and 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 quick story so we're at his pad down south back then uh escondidas or ensenada one of those and um we're out in his studio and i'm telling you for a solid week i was staying down the street i guess me and willis were staying down the street somewhere seven o'clock i don't care if we were in the middle of the greatest Alan Holdsworth solo ever. Seven o'clock, we are done. We are now going to go in the laundry room, and we're going to pound some ale. <laughs> and he had his own custom. He's a brewer, right? He's he had his own custom machinery that squeezed the gas out of American beer. Because wow. everybody knows that they inject gas into yeah. the beer to make it, because it's not a true right. malt head, like a draft beer for real. And we, he, I'll never forget, he bought Molson's, which is a Canadian regular beer with gas injected in it. And he takes the Molson's, he pours it in this thing, and he just starts methodically squeezing the stuff out. About three bottles of Molson made one pint of ale. Wow. And it was the sweetest, creamiest, unbelievablest, baddest, beautiful, you know, for beer aficionados. And I drank one of those. And it was like, see ya, I'm going to my room. And Holsworth, as everybody knows, man, he can pound you under the table. <laughs> At least back in the day. I think he's slowing down. Yeah. But, you know, cats out on the road with him. We were always on the road together, all of us, with, with uh, Patricio promoting the gigs. And they're, every night, 6 o'clock, closing the pub. He's English. Those guys can do that, yeah. I guess. Yeah. But I'm telling you, man, I don't care if we're doing the, the highest majestic fusion ever been gave. Seven <laughs> o'clock, we're done. It's time to pound some ales. And we'd go back in his laundry room, and there some guy with some jamoke would crawl in, some neighbor hillbilly from down the street would yeah. come in, hey, Alan, what are you doing? You having some beers? Yeah, come on in, yeah. Bill. Unbelievable, man. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was it's, you know, I, that's when I realized I'm a wuss. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
how did the gig with Zalano come about? Was that through Scott or uh, did you hear <coughs> Well, of course it was through that connection. I'll try to keep it short because it's an it's it, this story is miraculous. Tribal Tech finishes a month in Europe. Patrizio's booking both bands. Patrizio's with us, and Jaya Kiotza, his wife, was with Joe, and that's how it always was a lot of times. And they're somewhere doing something. We are driving home from our last hit across the mountains from the Adriatic back to Rome to fly to L.A. We're done. We're happy. Gig's over. Two o'clock in the morning. Those mountains, <coughs> not the Pyrenees. What are those? Um, you know, Perugia. Phone rings, cell phone rings. We hear Patricio up in the front and goes, oh, hey, hey, what you, what's going on, Joe? What's the deal? Okay, hang on a minute. Scott, it's Joe. He, he needs to talk to you. And, you know, you're not paying any attention. And then I hear, you're kidding, really? Well, yeah, we're actually, we just actually finished. Well, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he knows the tunes or whatever else. And, and my ears started kind of perking up. I'm going, what the hell are they talking about? The next morning when we get to um, Da Vinci, 6 a.m., completely burnt, they fly to L.A., and I fly to Catania. I get to Catania, Sicily, at 1 o'clock. But, but wait, so you... You knew at that point. I knew. Yeah. Scott said he needs a drummer. Paco did a, did a Paco. And uh, I'm flying to Catania. I get there at 1 o'clock. AZ, Anthony, comes in my, knocks on my door and hands me the double record with Paco and... and it's Paco Siri, Siri. Paco Siri and um, Richard Bona. Uh-huh. I listen to the record. I make my little North Texas cheat sheets. Thank God, I, you know, I had yeah. some chops on that. Yeah. The gig's at seven. <laughs> that's real world, world, folks, right there. And, and mean, dude, we're that's, playing. That's what happens in this world, that's man. Exactly you get right. call for stuff, and that's it. They're, we're outdoors underneath Mount Etna, which is billowing volcanic ash, and it's a packed outdoor venue, beautiful venue there in Catania, and I'm playing with Joe. And it's like, okay, this is pretty miraculous. And actually, that first hit was really, really something, man. It just You know how first hits are, man. Everybody's... You're in tune, and you're wanting to do good. And I will tell, especially for drummers out there, man, I went in there, and I listened to Paco, and I already loved Paco. I loved his vibe on the syndicate. So I went in there, and I Pacoized it until everything was cool, and then I started, you know, nudging a little mine in there, right? But that's the way to do a gig. You go in there, you make them comfortable. Yeah. They're they're digging Paco, and Paco's like this. (laughs) One of the great things he did, he goes... That's exactly Paco right there. Yeah, yeah. What? No crash symbol? These magnificent fills. <laughs> and his particular brand of West African grooving. You know, they don't yeah. they don't grow up match grip, traditional grip, you know, Jim right. Chapin book and all that crap. You know, they they just play. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that was a weird deal. And a year later he fired me. <laughs> well, he does that to drummers. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot dumb. of name players I won't mention that. I, I a lot of my drummer friends have worked that's right. with, and, that's and it's right. like, ah, it's normal. It yeah. just happens. It Did just you happens. screw up the music? No, it's just that's you know, dude, there weren't that many white drummers on his band ever, anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, he digs black cats, he digs African cats, he digs, you know, he digs the hodgepodge of everything. You know, so that was a pretty cool thing. And and I've got to tell you, man, last thing, the greatest thing of all. I got to play with Victor Bailey, 
And Victor had just done five or six years with Madonna. And I got to see nightly over a very short period of days and weeks, Victor went from five years with Madonna back to that 18-year-old Victor that mm-hmm. subbed for Jocko or, or took the gig after Jocko, yeah. right? Really playing. And I got to sit next to Joe. There was especially a couple of gigs. Kenzie will remember this, but I called Kenzie one night. We were in Europe, and I woke him up in the middle of the night in L.A. time. And I said, dude, you wouldn't believe what Joe just did tonight, man. He was doing this thing where he morphed from like this Bach, you know, Chopin, first and second inversion stuff to the deepest harmony all in one passage, which is what he really did, man. He would do these things that, and I was sitting next to him, mm. right? So yeah. freaky influence. Yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you the second thing about Joe, and then I'll shut up about it. The next morning at 6 a.m. when we're schlepping big stacks of anvils through the airport, Side by side, there's Joe, 66 years old at the time. Hey, God, it's kind of cold this morning, and he's pushing an anvil. Well, he and was I, way into boxing. He stuff, was a right? badass he boxer, but he's just a cat, man. It's like yeah. when the guy does that, he's a hero to me. He's like, okay, yeah, you are who you are, but the next morning, you're right beside me schlepping shit through the airport. Hmm. Wow. That's cool. What a dude. Yeah. Ain't no star stuff there. Now, Joe was... He's a hard case, man. Yeah. He's got one eye that's twinkly and grandfatherly, and he's got another eye that'll stab you in the heart. Mm. You know? I mean, and when you understand his youth, you get it, what he had to go through. You know? He was born in Vienna during the war. I mean, he's, for another time, another story, but yeah. People always ask me, was Joe really a, you know, was he really an asshole? Not even remotely close. He just expected, man. And he expected of himself. So it's fun, man. You know, you were talking about first gigs and how you try to make an impression. And, and um, the last time I saw you was the first gig I did with Hall & Oates when you came. You exactly were there for right. the first night. Yeah. And now we're Moody, like- Moody, Moody Center in Austin. And let me just say, I was I was just to the left of the sound guy, if you've ever been in that venue, which puts me almost in direct uh, target view. Line of fire. Of, of your fire. And I'm telling you people. Hall and Oates. Hit machines. It was a really energized crowd. It was all great. And then Shane played. And you can ask Carter Arrington. My boy here in town. Great guitar player. We just. Shane just lit it up. Oh, man. It on. was like. Okay. Here's this band. And then Shane starts blowing. It's like, oh, here's this band. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Man. Killed it, man. Especially it. for your first night. Well, I'm and that still says there, a lot about thankfully. those guys because they encouraged it. Man. Yeah, they they're encouraged great. It. Great guy. Well, I want to briefly talk about your. Uh, at what point did you get into keyboard, piano, and everything? I mean, drums were first, and then another fortunate, another fortunate story for me. Nine or ten years old, I'm banging drums. My older brother, guitar player, got got talked to parents into getting me my first set of drums. So I'm banging like crazy. By 13, 14, 15 years old, we're going up to my aunt's every summer. She had a beautiful upright grand, and I'm playing C-Jam Blues. And I never had a doubt about the drums and the grand piano. That was it. To me, that was all of music for me. Synthesizers came shortly thereafter. Never wanted to play vibes or mallets. Never wanted to be a percussion secondary I wanted to play piano and drums because that translated into harmony, melody, and rhythm. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You got it all covered. Right all there. across the board, man. Yeah. And plus, I loved it. I could see no reason not to, you know, it's so much easier than guitar. I mean that. I mean, guitar, I've heard it, I've heard it talked about as like six pianos layered a fourth apart. I've heard it coined like, it's just a harder instrument. Piano, you sit down, there's the octaves, there's the voicing, there's the chord, here's the blowing over the chord. It's pretty straight ahead, man. It is. I, I will say, <laughs> I don't know if it's harder than, than keyboard. I would say that it's it's a more naked connection because your 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 flesh is right on the wire, and you're you know that's what creates. It's easier to have sort of, sort of a sound, I think, on a guitar. Absolutely, that's at least that one thing. I'm that, telling you, I, I, I would think, say that, but um, I think harmonically and melodically, it's harder. It really is because guitar is a weird instrument, dude. It, it's, it's like, yeah. You know, the it's keyboards. come up in every episode when I've interviewed the, some other guitar players, and we talk about sight reading. That that's been every podcast episode we talk about that where it right. comes up, where it is a pain in the ass to sight read on a guitar. But it is, and that's just one thing. Mm-hmm. But formulating your understanding of melody and harmony on guitar is more difficult than on a piano. Piano is one set it's of twelve out. keys. Yeah, it's laid out over and over, baby. Mm-hmm. So everybody sits down and goes C C C triad. Boom. Mm-hmm. Go on out. I was just a blues monkey, man. I was going, and just playing blues. Why don't, you I, play, why don't you move over, the, over to your piano, and, and then uh, maybe we'll play one more tune with you on drums, and then... Yeah, because people have probably shut this off by now. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> It'll be a good time. <laughs> I'm going to move it to the front. Hey, Kirk has now moved over to piano. Uh oh. So you were saying that you the piano came naturally after it. I mean, and uh, man, I, I, this morning when I woke up and you started playing all this, those. That's where it started. Yeah, that's where it started. Where it started. But started. the stuff you were playing this morning was beautiful, man. Just that little exercise. What was that? I'm trying to. I'm very, very bereft of. I don't know what that word. is. Let me look it up. Hold well, on. it's 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 uh, the lesions have cleared up now, but I'm still got some. <laughs> <laughs> I am devoid of real, extensive or, or or comprehensive, legit chops, i.e. arpeggios and the proper fingerings and a lot of that stuff is still a work in progress for me. But I immediately jumped on harmony, man, and trying to. Trying to understand melody and harmony, especially through the vehicle of jazz mm-hmm. and jazz improvisation and all that kind of stuff. I, I was saying earlier, you know, I, I just started playing like a. started kind of going from there and you, you immediately understand you know you need to take it through all the keys and take all the so that's blues and then all of a sudden that tune we talked about earlier i i learned that my first chick tune life, nothing seems so right i want to be with you you know i learned harder songs and that the the, the pandora's box just freaking you know blew open yeah and dude when I got here, and I got this piano, I, I, I'm. I have and a this Hawaii. view, 
And yeah, this view. I have a Kawhi six foot nine anniversary 90, 1997 model piano, and it just basically took me back and just spanked me like a little infant, like I'm just <laughs> like I'm just going, oh oh, this is the real thing. And of course, I also for years now, I wake up every morning to legit for an hour, eight thirty. It's Chopin or Liszt or Dvorak. Oh wow! Or okay, that's what you meant last night. I wake up to Chopin. I, wake up to I was Chopin like, do you and, and I set get it my Ravel and I get my Debussy and I get my Tchaikovsky. I get all my stuff, but especially like Franz Liszt. Hmm. These cats that were playing piano, it, it just almost makes you want to quit because they're so. And that guy in particular was a freaking rock star, you know the stuff he played. So I'm kind of in a college mode again. Like, I'm really trying to listen to everything, and, and I'm trying to learn how to play piano. I'm actually going to take lessons, you know, 59 years old. Hey, man, I think I'll I mean, take piano it, lessons. You <laughs> play at such a high level already, man. That's pretty inspiring. That, An important key that I've always talked about is that, again, when I hit North Texas State, I was surrounded by drum club homies, great drummers, but I was also surrounded by great cats on every other instrument. So... I sort of tagged along with all the great piano players that were in North Texas where piano was their uh, primary instrument. And I just sort of listened and learned and tried to tag along. And here's the key again, Shane. Here's the whole thing for everybody. Every great cat ever is a drummer inside. They have great, impeccable time. Mm-hmm. Chick Corea, Joe Zawinul, you know, Scott Henderson will sit down and play his one or two drum beats that he has, but that he could play in a band if he knew more beats. But he'll sit down and go, yeah. They all have great superlative time. I mean, we're born with a with a click track. Your heartbeat, is, your heartbeat, baby. You know, that's a click 60 track. Sixty BPM, baby. Yeah, it's like, you know, is it sixty? I think that's why people naturally gravitate towards one twenty beats per minute because it's too. sixty, right? And too. so it feels right. I think there's right. more than just it feels luck. natural. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'll tell you something, and I'm not trying to be mean on tape, but look, if you ain't got that, you're never going to be a great player. Mm-hmm. If you ain't got that basic Stern was thing, talking about that time. It's something you're just born with. You got a it. feel and a time. And yeah. it's, it, what it is, it's... You know, it's inside. And it doesn't matter whether you're playing complex, simple, jazz, rock, whatever it is. You got time, man. You know, Oscar Peterson. Like, you know, it's the stuff. You want to play a little blues or something? What do you want to play? Sure. Name a song. I mean, you can play by yourself solo. That's beautiful. Just...
Nice. Nice, man. <laughs> really nice. I think, I think everybody goes, let's just play the modern blues. <laughs> like, why not? <laughs> so that's a work in progress. Disregard all of that last bit. <laughs> what this really is is some serious hanky skanky shame. I thought you said don't play hanky. Man, when you play hanky, it's cool. <laughs> all right? All right? <laughs> you got your hanky, man. <laughs> hey, where's the bass player? <laughs> but uh, you funky man, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Man, there's so much stuff we didn't get to talk about. Like uh, I saw you at the Baked Potato a couple times. Well, we actually did a gig at the Baked Potato yep, together, but fun one. Uh, yeah, and that night, what was the guy? Oh, Danny Carey, your your buddy from yes. Tool. A lot yes. of people don't know. That's like Danny Carey loves Kirk. They were in a band together, Volto. Are you still doing that? I did it up until a few years back. We did yeah. it for about eight years, and it's kind of a long story, but the greatest thing about that thing was Danny Carey is a supreme, uniquely cool cat mm -hmm. representing everybody in his, you know, his fame and fortune is, is irrelevant. He's about the playing and the music and the writing and the balance and all the kinds of different stuff he loves to do. And Volto, for him, was a great outlet, balanced with Tool, because he got to be where I sat yeah. for all my life, playing Dual, fusion and cool two drummers, Pinocchio. Man. We're doing Pinocchio yeah. and and Little Feet and everything we could think of. But the that's greatest right. I thing, know he was neighbors with Richie Hayward. Exactly. He was he was his buddy, man. I know. And everybody thinks of Danny as Tool Danny, but they don't have any idea how much other things he can do, mm -hmm. and and how he came up. You know, he went to school. He was digging weather report just like the rest of us, and. The greatest thing for me about those eight years was that Danny and I never spoke one word about double drumming. We never sat down and said, hey, man, let's do some Q&A there, and then we'll trade fours, and I got this thing I wrote. We just sat down and improvised every single time. And, of course, you have some fails, but we had some magical stuff drumistically. I even learned very immediately that if he's playing his big mama double bass Danny Carey drums, then I need to play my little Jocko soprano drums. Two big mama drum sets don't cut it. Two little bebop kits doesn't cut it. You need the alto and the soprano, mm. you know, or the bass and the tenor. Yeah. And, I mean, it was just so fun for me. It was the first time I ever really got to have a keyboard drum set rig. I literally swiveled in my chair from the keyboard stack. I swiveled left to my little Jocko drums. And 
that was the coolest thing about the whole thing for me was that the emphasis was on double drumming and not as much as I love of not even Almond Brothers double drumming. Complete, unabashed, uh, uh, wild abandonment. Fuck them, we're going to play double drums. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a departure from most historical double drums. And let me mention Roy Hargrove. When he does his big, bigger band and he has the two drummers that, that are a lefty and a righty, same drum sets, they do this mirror image thing that's absolutely phenomenal. Like, same fills. That's a remarkable thing on the other bookend. Our thing was the polar opposite bookend where it's like, what's going to happen? I don't know. You know? No, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Leave it up to, yeah, leave it up to chance. And like, I that's miss, where the good shit happens. On record, missed the hell out of Danny in that context. And I'm certain we'll do it again. Yeah, I'm sure. We will find a way. Yeah. We'll find a way. Yeah. Well, bro. Bro. All right. Thank you, Kurt. That was cool, man. Yes. That was cool. So here's gonna... my here's my parting chords for the young kids. <laughs> <laughs> Ow! <laughs> Quit doing that. Slam, slam my fingers in the keyboard lid. The keyboard lib. Is that your uh, your morning wake up exercise? Yeah, that's my feet exercise. I'm trying to be like uh, Bill Caldwell. <laughs> you know, Mr. Miss Caldwell's boy <laughs> drives that blue car. <laughs> Shit. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.